Welcome to Crossroads Podcast. Today we're going to be talking with Joy Clark, who is a um, FGM specialist midwife, and she set up the Whittington um, Hospital FGM Clinic. Um, and she is also now providing training to health and social care professionals and other community leaders. Before starting, I would like to mention some trigger warnings that may include domestic abuse, gender-based violence, and female genital mutilation. Hello, well, I'm Maria, the co-president of the Intersectional Feminist Society at King's College London. And today we will be talking with Joy Clark, an FGM specialist midwife who set up the FGM clinic in the Whittington Hospital NHS Trust to support survivors of FGM and who delivers training about FGM to health and social care professionals and other frontline professionals, including community members. The Africa Advocacy Foundation is a community-led initiative that aims to equip diaspora communities and marginalized people with the tools they need to find better health, safety, prosperity, and opportunity to lead fulfilling and happy lives. It also works with communities both in the UK and overseas who are affected by a range of issues, including sexual and reproductive health, violence against women and girls, including female genital mutilation, FGM, and mental health issues. I am here with Melanie, a KSL graduate who works as an advocate and researcher for women that have experienced um, domestic abuse. Um, so are you happy to tell us a bit about yourself and kind of work um, and journey into doing kind of FGM related work? Yes, I'm happy to. My name is Joy Clark. I'm an FGM specialist midwife. I established the FGM clinic, as was mentioned, at Whittington Hospital in June 2000. My aim was to improve the birth outcomes for pregnant women who are affected by FGM. FGM is a term we use here in the UK, but I've learned over years, some of the survivors prefer us to use other terms. For example, female circumcision, female cutting or surgery down below. And for the survivors from Sierra Leone, the term they use is initiation. So depending on the community that the acute hospitals serve, I think it's good practice as frontline professionals, and I mean within health and social care, that we should learn to know about the culture, about the people we meet, mm -hmm. so that when we come in contact with them, we are not judgmental. The things that are used, mm -hmm. especially with vulnerable people and women mm -hmm. and girls. We as yeah. part of society, are always seen, well, women, I should say, as the lesser person and cannot contribute to everything else that men do. But personally, I know we can. And providing we've been given the opportunities to do so, regardless of race, religion, culture, ethnic origin, etc., 
we can excel to the same extent. And it was one of the things that pushed me because I wanted not only to improve uh, the lives of women and girls who have survived actually FGM, because mm -hmm. you, I'm sure you know that many women and girls die as a result of FGM, yeah. not only at the time when the procedure is carried out, but sometimes in later in life because of the complications of childbirth, infections and other things that happen. Mm. So that's where I'm at. I was so, so pleased when the managers at the Whitton Hospital accepted and supported me in establishing that clinic. Mm. I no longer work at Whittington because I've retired from that and I'm working freelance now. And as I said to, to Melanie, I am still doing most of the work I used to do at the Whittington except the surgical intervention that I did, especially for women with type three FGM. As you may know, there are four types of FGM. Type one involves when, when where the clitoris is partially or totally removed. Type two would involve the clitoris and the labia minora or small lips that can be cut and removed. Type three is where the labia majora is cut. It's narrowed, yes? And it's, yeah. um, do you know how it works? It's narrowed and it's stitched together, yeah. leaving a very small opening for women's menstrual flow and for them to pass urine. And with type 3 FGM or infibulation, that's when women require to be deinfibulated. That's mm -hmm. the uh, correct term. Women may say they would like a reversal and it's fine, but the correct term is the deinfibulation. Mm -hmm. And the specialist person who is dealing with the woman should explain the, the reason why we don't use the term reversal, because mm -hmm. if parts of the genitalia has been removed and got rid of, yeah. it cannot be put back. So yeah. it's for the woman to have the right understanding, woman or what young is, person, yeah, why we use the term deinfibulation rather than reversal because you cannot reverse yeah. surgically any part of the genital that's been mm. removed mm. yes yeah, yeah. thank yeah. you, so, thank you much. so much uh, we also uh, wanted to ask why would you say that fgm is such an important topic for you fgm is an important topic for me because of the harm it causes to women and girls mm. It's not only about the physical harm, but there's the think of the psychological and mental yeah, yeah. Yeah, harm that it causes. And it lasts a lifetime, regardless of the type of FGM uh, mm -hmm. a survivor would have had, it lasts a lifetime. And just think, the genital area is a very sensitive part. Yeah, yeah. Hearts would be cut and it will remain sensitive for the rest of a woman or girl's mm. life. 
And if you could imagine, at some point, that girl that's been cut between the age of five and 15 will grow up, puberty would start, and that's the time mm -hmm. when most of the complications will it's start, start. Yeah. <clears throat> because of the difficulty passing urine, mm -hmm. infections, yeah. Uh, yeah. Painful periods. These are all the things that that present and manifest itself in a young girl's life from puberty. She becomes a woman. Now, this young person will marry because most of the women will marry. Mm -hmm. And you may not know because of the damage that's been done to the genitalia, mm -hmm. it will cause problems in the bedroom during intimacy mm. and unless women and girls have been given the help that they require because all women and girls should if when they access services in relation to FGM should yeah. be offered counseling it's important yeah, definitely. and you know why counseling is important mm. to any woman regardless of um any type of violence that they would yeah. have had or experienced yeah. fgm yeah. is one of them and counseling would offer them a safe space for them yeah. to be able to talk about the harm that they've endured for so many years earlier. And we as professionals, and I'm thinking as myself, when I am with a woman during a consultation, I've got to give her her space. It has to be a safe space. She must be given time and listened to. Yes, Body definitely. language is important yeah. because when she's disclosing her information, it's important mm. that I listen, do yeah. not judge her, yeah, because it would be the first time in all the years that she's had that procedure carried out yeah. that she may be talking about it. And from mm. doing it that way, if we give her the space, she may experience flashbacks. She mm. may think of the person who actually did the cutting. She may sweat a portion blame to the cutter mm. or perhaps her mother or the person in the extended family that actually performed the procedure. So it's a lot for a woman or a young yeah, person yeah. to yeah, talk yeah. about in one go, which from my experience, many times, one consultation is not enough yeah. because we've got to give the survivor time to taking mm -hmm. as much yeah. information as she can, then stop the consultation and explain why we've stopped, giving her another appointment to come back and mm -hmm. talk about what she understood has taken place and we can further talk to her about options that might be yeah. available to give her the choices and explain why those choices are given. 
FGM is a very complex subject. And unless we can give women and girls the time and space to talk, do not judge them, listen. It's their space. We are trying to learn from them in order to be able to safeguard them from future harm and mm. extended family members. Because with FGM, it's linked to other types of violence against women and girls. It's not always a one problem yeah, in yeah, relation yeah, to the harm that's caused. Girls who've experienced FGM may also experience forced marriage mm. and honor-based violence or abuse as it's caused. So we're talking here, it's a very complex situation. That mm. is why working in collaboration with multi-professional yeah, and multi-agencies yeah. would help us to bring together one mm. perspective in terms of guidelines and procedures, because we can only work together to safeguard girls and women, yes, if we do it in collaboration. Yeah, because definitely. we know what each agency is doing, how we can overcome any barriers, mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, we're working for the best outcome for women and girls. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that collaboration is definitely really important when it comes to um, supporting um, survivors. And I and I, I was just wondering with the FGM clinics, do they um, offer the one-to-one -one counselling or do you work with a different agency to provide that and then you do the initial kind of support, yeah. if that makes Some sense? Some clinics offer a one-to-one counselling okay. and it yeah. may be um, for a period of time. Mm. It depends on where the survivor was and where she wants to get to in terms yeah. of feeling a better person of mm. of 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 um knowing and contributing actually because a lot of survivors contribute to the work we're doing because yeah. it's, it's survivors from the way they've been treated and if they feel that they can contribute and help us as professionals yeah. Yeah. they would refer their friends family members and so on and that's how we know things are, are, are getting better <clears throat> me because of the survivors that want to work and have in fact some of them have set up their own organizations to help young people yeah. who are affected by fgm there's a lot of work going on and you've heard about integrate uk um i have you it used to be called integrate bristol but now it's uh, called integrate okay. uk yeah. it's a group of young people who mm. live in Bristol that are doing a lot of work oh. around FGM. Oh. So that's something you must look up and yeah, perhaps definitely. find out if you can perhaps have an interview with some of the young survivors mm. listening to their own stories, where they're yeah, at definitely. and how much they're helping to bring FGM 
at the top of the agenda, because mm. if it falls off, just think of what would be happening yeah, to women exactly. and girls. So we're all working yeah. to keep it at the top of the agenda. Yeah. We don't want to lose sight of what we should be doing in order mm. to help women and girls. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, could you tell us like a bit more about your work as, um, I know you've touched on it a little bit, but as when you were a FGM specialist midwife and kind of like what kind of, so you mentioned deinfibulation. Um, yeah. What other kind of procedures and things like that that you would carry out? And right. um, yeah. Okay. Like well, um, I've mentioned deinfibulation, which is specifically for women who would have had type three FGM yeah. or infibulation. Yeah? yeah. The other term for type three is infibulation, yeah. and deinfibulation is a surgical procedure. Mm. Um, and women are given choices. This procedure can be done between the 22nd and 34 week of pregnancy. And the reason why we do it at that stage or mm. prefer for it to be done in pregnancy, it gives the woman when she goes into labor time to focus on her birthing experience rather than being cut yeah. or infibulated during labor. Yeah, Having definitely. said that, there's a small percentage of women that will opt for having it done in labor and that's fine. But as mm. a professional, we have to offer options yeah. to women yeah. and, and explain why the options are yeah. offered. Yeah. And we must also bear in mind, a lot of women who may have changed their minds because many would say, yes, we will go for the procedure once you've arranged it and so mm. on, but then they'll call and say, we've changed our mind it's fine for them to change their mind. It's yeah. their body. Yeah. Yeah. They know what to expect. And if they want to have the deinfibrillation procedure mm. during the birthing experience, that's fine. Mm. But deinfibrillation is a surgical inter, uh, procedure that's carried out generally under local anesthetic. But if the woman prefers to have a spinal anesthetic, she can have it, but all the, the deinfibrations that I've done was carried out on the local mm -hmm. anesthetic. And it's opening of the existing scar tissue seen on a woman with type three FGM. And we would give a, a local anesthetic cut into the scar tissue until we can see the urethral meters. Do you know what that is? The urethral meters is the little tiny hole that mm. we pass urine, that our urine comes yeah. from. Yeah. And once that has been visualized, we oversaw the edges so mm. that the woman's uh, vagina would become normal. And it's important that we know why women have vaginas it's so that they can have um, penetrative intercourse. It's so that they can give birth vaginally in most cases. They can also have smear tests. So that was something when we ask women mm. in uh, during 
perhaps a workshop that we would done for health. And it's best when talking about FGM, just to arrange coffee mornings for women. That's how mm -hmm. I did it. And we'll talk about general health. Yeah. So the things that affect us as a race and mm -hmm. some communities, it's vitamin D that you know about. And if we start from the top and work our way down, eventually we will get to the vulva. Yeah, mm -hmm. vitamin D, breast examination, smear test. Why haven't you been for your smear test? Because I'm closed down below. So you'll ask the woman, why are you closed? And she will say she's had the FGM or cutting or circumcision, whatever. Yeah. And if she discloses that, that's the time when we need to talk to her separately at the end of the session to find out how best we can help her. In health and in maternity specifically, women are asked the FGM question. Have you been cut down below? Does anyone intend to cut you or your daughters? Yeah. Family members view about FGM because that's important. And why we want to know family members view about FGM, we would have educated the woman or the mother, but it doesn't mean her mother or mother-in-law has had exposure to have an awareness of the implications and consequences of cutting girls yeah and that yeah. is why we want to know family members view because if it is that the senior member in the family thinks that they sh should carry on the tradition of cutting girls there's a problem in the family and that's when we need to have a meeting to talk to mm. the whole family about why girls should not be cut why they should be protected etc yeah. yeah and what um what challenges and highlights would you would you um talk to us about in this in, in of this type of work that you're that you're doing is there any particular yeah challenges or highlights that come to your mind challenges with everything we do there are challenges yeah. and if a woman is living in an extended family she wants help because she knows the mm -hmm. senior family members their view is that the girl should be cut and unless the woman protects her daughter in her absence the family member may do it I'm not saying they will it's likely that they yeah. will do it so unless we can educate those family members as to the law, we have a law in this mm -hmm. country in which there's 14 years imprisonment if a girl has been cut and the family members know very well it's illegal to do so and you've done it. You know that we've had a law in this country since 1985. We've only had one conviction. And that was in 2019, where a, a young child was taken, three-year-old, to um, a hospital in, in East London bleeding. Mm. And her mother's story was that she was outside. She came in, climbed, climbed up 
to get biscuits from a cupboard and she fell and sustained an injury, clear, clean cut on her genitalia. That case went to court. The, I, I can't tell you much more of it, but the mother was found guilty and sentenced to 11 years imprisonment. Oh, wow. Another two years was added to the sentence because pornographic material was found on her computer. This is something you can read, read up about, just look up for conviction of FGM yeah. and what, yeah. So if you think, Maria and Melanie, we've only had one conviction, had that child not bled and had to be taken to a hospital, yeah, to seek help from a clinician, let us think there may be a few more girls who have been cut and because everything went well, they did not bleed, etc. We are still unaware. Yeah. A three-year-old, by the time she's five or six, may forget everything that happened on that terrible day. Yeah. How many girls are living with the consequences of FGM? And I can talk, mm. think about the UK that we are totally unaware of. Mm. Regardless of the type that's carried out, it causes pain, yeah. it causes bleeding, it causes emotional and psychological trauma. So mm -hmm. it's not only physical, yeah. it's yeah. mental, it's mm -hmm. sexual yeah. trauma. And following uh, what you've just been talking to us about, could you share with us um, a time where you supported a woman that experienced FGM with additional health complications to safety and what this process looked, looked like? Well, in fact, this is going to take me back all the years earlier. And it was an incident that really pushed me to establish that clinic. And it yeah. was a woman from one of the practicing communities Mm. did not speak English. And in those days, we didn't use interpreters, we used family members. Right. So okay, she yeah. didn't yeah. speak English. Yeah. She arrived in labor mm. into the birthing unit, fully dilated. You know what that means? When a woman is fully dilated, yeah. she's yeah. ready to give birth. She was completely closed, which means she had type 3 FGM. Mm. And the reason we knew that she was ready to give birth is because through the tiny vaginal op opening, the hair of the baby, an inch of the hair, protruded through that tiny hole. And that's yeah. Yeah, how we suspected she was fully dilated. Mm. I had to press the emergency bell because I knew nothing about what's going on. Yeah, sure. Mm. The doctors came rushing in mm. and they deinfibrillated that lady and she had a safe birth. Mm. Yeah, there was a lot of bleeding, 
a lot of chatter going on. Yeah, the whole situation was compromised. We couldn't understand her, she couldn't understand us. So it was kind of sign body language, mopping her brow, trying to get her to feel that we are caring for, for her in the best way we can. But yeah. it was a situation I was not happy with and I have not seen it repeated since. Mm -hmm. It's never been repeated since because I ensured that there was always a plan in place for women after the consultation. Yeah, a care yeah. plan was written on the labor page, we call it, so that any midwife who comes in and sees that woman, as she turns to the labor page, she would see the plan. And know kind of what to do. Or delivering the baby, yeah. yes? Yeah. The plan, yeah. what needs to, to be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We now wanted to ask you um, if you could tell us about the FGM clinics within London and how you set up the clinic at Whittington Hospital. Like what kind right. of support uh, do they provide for survivors and what impact did you see this have? Right. The, the clinic, there, there, there are, as far as I know, 11 clinics. All run similarly. The Whittington Clinic uh, and there are uh, another two or three clinics. Whittington Clinic was uh, women-centered and midwifery-led. Okay. There are other clinics in London that are similar. But mm -hmm. for Whittington the Clinic, we referred all of <clears throat> the women for counseling to the Dahlia Project. Have you heard of the Dahlia Project? Yeah, 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 we have. Yeah. It's a, a counseling project mm. specifically for women um, with FGM. And of course, it's in the borough of Islington, right. where I worked. Yeah. Yes, and it's just up the road from the Whittington. And the Dahlia Project, they were intrinsic. When I first set up the clinic, they were the first non-government organizations that wanted and, and actually arranged for community members in Islington and other boroughs to be educated about FGM. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Manor Gardens Advocacy, yeah, yeah. with the Dahlia Project. Yeah. because the Dahlia project is attached to yeah, the Manor Gardens, Gardens Advocacy. Yeah. And they were set up in, in uh, 2013. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. 2013. Yeah. And uh, they've been going on from strength to strength. And as a result of, of the work they've been doing, NHS England has set up uh, two other areas where the Dahlia Project psychotherapists mm. meet women, counsel them and give them the support they require. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I've always been working with the Manor Gardens um, Advocacy yeah. and yeah. my colleague who is now at the Whittington, she also does, continues the same. Mm. Following this that you just mentioned, uh, what kind of impacts does uh, inequalities within health have on survivors? Um, well-being and what work 
what like are you doing to reduce these inequalities within the um, within the health system inequalities within the health system has always been there and unless yeah. we've got um healthcare professionals that know how what the inequalities are and mm -hmm. what they can do to reduce those systems yeah. we know that black and ethnic minority group women and and some of the reasons why they um but there shouldn't be any reasons why mm -hmm. there should be inequalities for them. But I think in some cases, they're mm -hmm. afraid to, to speak up to a, a doctor or a professional. They're afraid that if they do and query something that's happening within their health, they'll be treated badly. And, and that, that goes without saying. I mean, yeah. even me, I'm confident and that mm. has come over time with experience. Yeah. But in my early days as a student, I would have been very timid to query something that was said mm. or afraid to ask questions. But we've got to train the young people from birth onwards to be assertive no question is a silly question because mm. if you knew the answer yeah. you wouldn't ask it and yeah. it's asking questions is a means of learning that's why we ask those questions we want to know more about it so we can yeah. use our knowledge and information to share with others and if we share knowledge and skills it's the key yeah mm. to um not manage, but to reduce the inequalities that some women and girls face and some ethnic minorities, if that's the right way of putting it. I don't want to be too um, dogmatic, if that's the right word to use, but inequalities are there and inequalities will continue to be there. Mm -hmm. However, to a lesser extent, until we can train all yeah. Yeah. professionals, yeah. whether in health and social care, we do the same training. They learn what inequalities mean. Talk to the people that are experiencing those inequalities. Okay? Have meetings mm -hmm. with them. We want to know from you how we can better work towards you feeling better work towards you accessing services, who you can contact, who we can steer you to, to help you with your needs, because there are lots of things with inequalities. Yeah. And unless we can work together as frontline professionals, I'm going to talk about now health and social care, because we are in the frontline and yeah. we are the people that women, and girls within health will see very often for the first time. So we've got to have the knowledge and know what we should do to reduce those inequalities that's happening yeah. with women and girls. Yeah, definitely, that's so important. And um, I was just wondering if you could introduce to the audience what type of work the Africa Advocacy Foundation does more generally, and then also 
what you do more specifically for them. Um, okay. Yeah. Specifically for the African advocacy, I, I do training on FGM yeah. and I've oh, done yeah. training for um, Lambeth, Lewisham, yeah. Yeah. and now I'm doing some training for um, Walsall Council, okay. yeah, on FGM, but I do yeah. other training on um, forced marriage, mm. domestic abuse, mm -hmm. child abuse linked to faith and belief. So those are the trainings yeah, that I do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I know um, the with these trainings, I was just wondering if you could give us like what kind of impact have you seen these different training programs that you've run have? Uh, in terms of impact on how? Impact on, I guess, like the outcomes that you've seen or if there's been any changes following these trainings um yeah 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 we do have um an evaluation after every training and yeah. the evaluation has always been excellent and because of those evaluation they're requesting more and more training yeah, for you know the other members that they work with within their teams etc and that's how we know that it's working mm -hmm. because if it wasn't so we it would not be, be continuing yeah. with the training um, yeah. year after year. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's the evaluation. Yeah, that's so important. I also wanted to ask more specifically the benefits of one-to-one counselling and peer support groups that the African Advocacy Foundation offers to individuals, more specifically. Well, I know they do. Um, they've got their own um, therapists that does mm. their training, mm. but I have never really sat in on one of their training to oh, see okay. how that gets done, which is different. I've, I've in fact trained the psychotherapist at Manor Gardens about FGM, because if you're offering oh, training, yeah. if you're offering um, therapy for yeah. survivors, for whatever case, you need to know about actually the facts yeah about whether it's fgm forced marriage child abuse linked to faith yeah. or belief yeah. so that yeah. you can form a picture yeah in order to to as you listen during the counseling because it counseling involves a lot of listening because yeah. the woman or young person will be telling their story from their perspective yeah. And it's to listen and ask very few questions. You may make notes as a counselor, but in those notes, you're going to actually, during the counseling, or just go back to say, this is what you've said. Um, is it correct? And how do you feel that this could be made better for you from... Mm you know, the impact that whatever the abuse was, how yeah. it could change. So it's about listening yeah. and not talking, positive body language, facial gestures, just let the person know you're understanding what they're saying. 
and how you would want to help them to get to a better place. It's very important with counseling. Yeah. It's about mm -hmm. listening, making yeah, perhaps yes. a little bit of notes and revisiting some of the things that have been said by the survivor, I would say, by the survivor. Mm -hmm. And survivors like to be called uh, survivors. Some people yeah. tend to call them victims. They're not victims. Mm -hmm. If they're there with us um, in a counseling session or for whatever the session, yeah. they have survived and they want yeah. to share that survival mm -hmm. with others so yeah. that other survivors can help each other. That's how it works. Yeah. We cannot be in silos and keep everything to ourselves. It's about yeah. talking and sharing our experiences over time that brings about change. And change can yeah. only come from the people who've actually been there yeah. and have experienced yeah. all the, the trauma, whether it's emotional, physical, yeah. psychological, coercion, whatever it may be, they are the people that will bring about change from their experiences yeah. over time. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's really important around the terminology as well with that between using the word survivors. I think you yeah. haven't touched on that yet. Yeah, it's just yeah. so important. And um, I know you mentioned a bit about the training that you provide to professionals within health and social care. Um, I was just wondering what are the, some of the key things that you try to get across in those trainings, do you think? Some of the key messages. The key, some of the key things is awareness of where they are yeah it's a safe space because yeah. um in some trainings or in mm -hmm. most trainings i would say remember if we're talking about fgm there'll be a survivor in that room yeah yeah so we've got to give them a warning if there are any survivors it's fine take time out if you feel that there are going to be any triggers yeah. most important just take time out most of the training i've been doing since covid has been zoom or by through teams mm -hmm. not face to face when we can see people face to face we can empathize with some of their emotions we cannot do it to the same extent on Zoom or Teams platform. So we've always got to be mindful that they're survivors. They may be survivors in the room. And if it is so, and there are any words or part of the presentation that will trigger, please take yeah. time out. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Very, very important yeah, in definitely. training. And of course, during a training, it's for them to have the key words of the presentation. Mm. And with FGM, as I said before, it could be female circumcision, female yeah. cutting, female surgery initiation, their key words. Yeah. Mm. And some of those words may tr trigger flashbacks. Mm. Yeah? Yes. Flashbacks mm. and other emotional um yeah realization as to what would have happened so the, those are things we talk about 
Another thing it's important, we're working together to safeguard yeah, girls we were just about, and women. Uh, yeah, to ask the role that these agencies have in safeguarding women and girls and how can we ensure that we effectively safeguard women and girls that have experienced FGM. Yeah. Well, to work effectively, we've got to <clears throat> really <clears throat> be aware of what FGM is. Yes. Be aware of the community that you're working with because mm. every community is different. And within the same country, you may not be aware, but and for the millions of people that would be residing in one country, they're different tribes and different tribes will do the cutting at different stages of a girl's life. Some very young, some a lot older. So if we're going to safeguard, we've got to know within that community, their beliefs and have some idea as to when their cutting would be carried out with the young person. We cannot bring about the change unless we know and hear it from them. Yeah. And that yeah. is why it's important to have those coffee mornings because yeah. from the coffee mornings and talking about health in general, women know that we are trying to help them, yeah. not only for the violence against them that would yeah. happen at some point in their lives, but the holistic care that we are offering. Because if we're going to talk about vitamin D, how to examine your breast, smear tests, why it's important yeah, to have them and uh, talk about also about FGM, we are there. We are giving them a lot of information in one go, in one coffee morning, and they will disclose, and it's those same women that will get other women involved and ask or request to have another coffee morning because they need to bring their friends to listen to the things and the areas and issues that mm -hmm. affects them all that we'll be talking about. It's the women that do that for themselves and invite us to take part. Mm. Thank you. And yeah, finally, I just wanted to ask, um, what does um, intersectionality mean to you? <laughs> I didn't see that question until the last thing. You wouldn't believe it. This morning, I was going through the paperwork and I thought, oh my God. Well, I, I tell you what, <clears throat> I um, made a, a, a little, I jot down words that mm -hmm. I think would be beneficial. And what I jot down is I thought about it's unique. Mm -hmm. It's about marginalization of people. Mm -hmm. It's about social norms. <clears throat> excuse me, it's about gender, race, class, sexual orientation, I've written down, uh, mm. oppression, discrimination, those are the words. And of course, all those lead to one word, being disadvantaged. Mm. That's what I think, it's about being disadvantaged. And I also looked up because I didn't realize that it was first coined by Kimberly Grenson. Yeah. 
1989. I didn't know that. I thought it was something that just happened maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. And yeah. that's just goes to show my knowledge of it. It's only about 10, 12 years ago that I've actually seen and come up with, with the word and thought, oh, what is that about? But I realized yeah. it affects us all. Yeah. And it's yeah. most to do with feminism and women. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. It's about, and even within feminism, I think some women choose the bits that suits them. So they pick out the part that they're happy with. But yeah. what is true feminism? How can we work together to be singing from the right page? Because mm -hmm. unless we can see everyone, this world is for all of us, yeah. regardless of race, mm -hmm. culture, ethnic origin, sexual orientation, we have got to like the people in the world and don't think of ourselves as being different. We've got to yeah. encourage. Yeah. Each of us have to choose for, for ourselves, whether we want to be known as he, she, whatever the case. And you've got to tell me, what, what would you want me to call you? I wouldn't call you something unless I'm sure about it. And if I'm mm -hmm. not sure, you ask. You just yes, don't assume. Yes. And yeah. until we can yeah. stop assuming and, and, mm. and brush everyone with the same brush, we will yeah. not get there. Yeah. We will yeah. not. Yeah, that's how I see it. Yeah, it's, personally. Yeah, it's very inspirational to see how intersectionality can be applied to whatever your discipline is, whatever your cause that you're fighting is for. You always can apply intersectionality to the work that you do and whatever that this the work that yeah. you do always exactly. mm. always always yes. don't separate it we've yeah. got to accept ourselves our friends the people in relate the people in the world yes. whatever they choose it is fine as long as it's not causing harm it's not causing harm they're not cutting anyone choose to be who they want and it's for us to accept don't abuse them verbally physically or for whatever reason I've seen people attacked on the tube and I thought I was going to collapse yeah. for what his sexual orientation you kicked him you this his glass fell off of his face I am hurt now hair's running yeah. down but I can't help yeah I can't help and this is what we have got to acknowledge. Yeah. Each man to his own order. He's not asking, he or she isn't asking you for anything. Let them go on their way and be happy. Yeah. If you can help them, help them, but don't abuse them. For whatever reason, don't abuse. Yeah. That's how yeah. I see it. Yeah, yeah. thank you so yeah, much definitely. for sharing, thank sharing you so much. with yeah. us. <laughs> Your yes. work and knowledge. I hope yeah. it was worth your while. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> it was really, really interesting. Thank We're you. We're so grateful to have you here. Yeah, so it was amazing. <laughs> Thank you very, Thank very you much. So much. It was a pleasure and good luck. And if you want to know anything more from me, please don't hesitate. You're in my uh, 
phone diary now. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure. Thank you, really thank you so, so much. Good luck with everything you do. Thank you deserve you. to do well. Thank you, thank you. Good luck. Good luck. Okay, bye -bye. You're very welcome. Bye -bye. Thank you. Bye. All right, bye. 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 We want to thank Joy Clark for her knowledge, her time and all the information she shared with us about the work and advocacy she does against FGM. And if you would like to see any more resources, just look below. We're going to put some things to do with the FGM clinics and other um, of Joy Clark's work. We also want to thank the listeners for sharing with us um, your time. And I hope we hope both that you've enjoyed the pod, the series and the podcast overall. And if you want to donate and help, uh, there will be also some links below so you can um, support the creatives and the speakers sharing their time with us and making Crossroads podcast stay alive. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. <laughs>